0: Nowadays, I spend much less time on Twitter than I used to. The novelty of it, very frankly, is long gone, and I am no longer new to blogging or so eager to connect with the world of religious writers in the blogosphere as I once was. But a few weeks ago, checking in on my Twitter feed, I saw a tweet from author Rachel Held Evans about her forthcoming book and nearly dropped my smartphone straight from my hands, Those of you who are not aware of this popular spiritual writer or her work might not know that she died a couple of years ago in the spring of 2019. In fact, hers was the first funeral I ever attended online. That funeral felt odd, partly because I participated so earnestly. Alone in my living room, I sat and stood and sat again in front of my computer screen, Many of you are familiar with this drill yourselves after months of practice in virtual worship. I followed the order of service by scrolling through the PDF I had downloaded to my tablet. I sang the words to all the lyrics and all those hymns, by the way, contained each of the lyrics. I wept, I wiped my eyes, then sang some more. In retrospect, Rachel's funeral prepared me for the ministry we have been doing here for the past year at UU Wellesley Hills. Once again, she cleared the way for the faithful. Mind you, I never met Rachel. She and I simply followed one another on Twitter and had some friendly exchanges online. Mostly, I knew her from her tweets, blog posts, and books. She is certainly not the only author to publish a book posthumously, but getting that tweet confused me for a moment. However, briefly, I thought, wait, let me rephrase that. I hoped that I had been confused by those news reports a couple of years and that she was somehow alive again. I forgot that her surviving husband would very occasionally tweet on her behalf. Besides, I realized, her dates were listed right there in her online bio, 1981 to 2019. So Rachel died prematurely and unexpectedly. She was only in her 30s. She was hospitalized for an infection following an allergic reaction to antibiotics, and her case soon took a turn for the tragic The last tweet she sent in April 2021 was breezy and joking with a cry-eye emoji. If you're the praying type, she said. Obviously, she knew her audience well. Rachel was a progressive Christian who became what these days we would call an ex-evangelical. She was admitted to a Tennessee hospital on Palm Sunday of that year. And at that point, by all accounts, was mostly worried about missing the series finale of her favorite television show. During Holy Week, she was put in a medically induced coma. She was comatose over Easter and was taken off life support only a couple of weeks later. Her death left a husband with two young children, a son who was nearly three and a daughter who was not yet quite one. Her family started a GoFundMe page to cover massive medical bills and thankfully they exceeded their target amount with generous contributions from her fans and adversaries alike, the skeptics as well as the true believers. Her final post was a Lenten one. It was published on Ash Wednesday in March 2021 and sounded eerily prescient as Rachel meditated on the theme of lamenting. Whether you are part of a church or not, whether you believe today or you doubt, whether you are a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or a so-called nun whose faith experiences far transcend the limits of that label, you know this truth deep in your bones. Remember that you are dust and to dust you will return, she wrote. Death is a part of life. My prayer for you this season is that you make time to celebrate that reality and to grieve that reality, and that you will know that you are not alone. This was a piece she wrote pre-pandemic, curiously enough. Her funeral was an online event because there was no earthly way to get all the possible mourners on site in a single location, myself included. A child of the Bible Belt, Rachel grew up and stayed in Dayton, Tennessee, where the notorious Scopes trial took place. Her first book was playfully titled Evolving in Monkey Town, How a Girl Who Knew All the Answers Learned to Ask the Questions. She attended Bryan College, named for William Jennings Bryant, the prosecutor challenging the teaching of evolution in public schools in that state, Later, she would renounce her religious upbringing precisely because she clung to a profound personal faith in a totally loving reality. What never left Rachel was a devotion to the Jesus she recognized from the gospels, the Jesus that we met in our story for all ages this Easter morning, who told followers that poignant parable about the shepherd in search of the lost sheep which was eventually found. In her book, Searching for Sunday, Loving, Leaving, and Finding the Church, Rachel wrote, We long for our churches to be safe places to doubt, to ask questions even when it's uncomfortable. We want to bring our whole selves through the church doors without leaving our hearts and minds behind, without wearing a mask. She added, Imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. Imagine that. That's the kind of spiritual community we have worked hard to create at UU Wellesley Hills, a place of inclusion and acceptance. We might not have actualized it yet but I do believe that we inspire to it, sincerely, all the same. It's worth our continuing to aspire to it even now in the midst of this lengthy pandemic. We do not ask people to wear masks here, but we have not gathered in the sanctuary for quite a while either. The last in-person worship we had was held in March 2020. And the last in-house worship we broadcast from the sanctuary was in 2021. Yes, on Easter Sunday. Do you remember the holiday last year? Rachel's funeral was held near the end of Easter Tide, that 40-day liturgical season celebrated in the Episcopal Church she had started to attend. The scripture for her service was taken from the Gospel of John, the passage containing the Easter account in which Mary Magdalene discovers an empty tomb and weeps for the Jesus she cannot find. She had seen his arrest, persecution, crucifixion, death, just days prior. A stranger outside the empty tomb asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? It was not until the stranger calls her by name, by her actual name, that Mary Magdalene recognizes him as the risen Jesus. She replies, Rabboni in recognition, using the Aramaic word meaning teacher. This momentous religious revelation, reenacted for millennia hence, occurs as a result of exchange and encounter and a reverence for the holy strangeness of others who have the power to instruct us on the essentials of living and of dying, those supremely human tasks assigned to each of us. The priest friend who gave the homily at Rachel's funeral insisted, this is not the end of the story and the story still isn't over. We know it is not the end because we are still being caught up in it. Mary Magdalene's life, Rachel's life, your lives. We are all fodder for God's really, really long memoir of how God loves humans, she told the people, packed into a local Methodist church, and all of us watching online from elsewhere across the country. And while it may still be dark, the light is breaking through, she said, and the darkness cannot, will not, shall not overcome it. As Unitarian Universalists, we rather uniformly resist literal understandings of the Bible. An important historical footnote here is that it was a past Unitarian minister of this congregation, the Reverend Charles Francis Potter, who was the expert witness for the defense of teaching evolution in the infamous Scopes Trial of 1925. In general, we relate to religion rather liberally as myth and metaphor, and religion really does hold those things beautifully, I must attest. But I also believe that it matters that we are the sort of folk for whom all kinds of resurrections are not impossible and that we actively exercise our spiritual imaginations along those lines. Whether or not we have an Easter faith, we can still demonstrate our willingness to be Easter people, today especially. In just over a year, nearly three million lives have been lost worldwide to the coronavirus. Nearly three million with more than 555,000 of those lives being lost in America alone. Current estimates indicate that one in three Americans now personally know someone who has died from COVID-19. The number of Americans impacted is staggering, and the number includes you and me. One of the hymns I sang in its lengthy entirety at Rachel's funeral was Down to the River to Pray, a traditional American folk devotional that you would recognize upon hearing a few bars. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about the good old way and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. That is its refrain. In standard renditions, there are slight variations in the stanzas, Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down, down to the river to pray. O oh, daughters, let's go down, let's go down, let's go down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, and so on. For her service, though, the words to the stanzas had been carefully revised in keeping with Rachel's spirit. Oh, doubters let's go down oh seekers let's go down oh dreamers let's go down down to the river to pray the doubters the seekers the dreamers in our midst all doubt all no doubt have their own substantial and meaningful variations upon the easter story in their minds those alterations are important too. We cannot allow the undying to be lost on us, the deathless. Not now, not today. It holds too much that is altogether indistinguishable from love. On Thursday, I was invited along with other clergy to join in a virtual Easter celebration sponsored by the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships the same executive office that Rachel had worked in during President Obama's administration. The spirited celebration was tempered by somber situations we are confronting now, a reluctance among some Americans to get either vaccinated or tested, as well as the emergence of new variants of the virus. But the celebration also held out hope for the resolution of this enormous public health crisis. One of the participants said in a prayer for those we have lost during this pandemic, they died that we might better learn to live in a community of care. They died that we might better learn to live in a community of care. The church, the virtual digital church that Rachel envisioned was indeed a community of care where there were no more lost sheep. The work of hers that is being released posthumously is a children's book titled, What Is God Like? In it, she tells children and presumably her own daughter and son among them. Whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe what makes you feel loved, and what makes you feel brave. That is what God is like. Whatever invites your own rising up is what is truly holy. Whatever emboldens and encourages and empowers us to live in a real community of care is holy. The hashtag that began trending after Rachel's death was because of R-H-E a shortening of her name to initials to conserve character count on Twitter. One Lutheran pastor in Minneapolis who founded Queer Grace, a resource for LGBTQ plus people, wrote that what she had seen Rachel do in her writing and outreach were both vital forms of public ministry. By her estimation, Rachel clung to the belief that there was more than sorrow, more than pain, more than brokenness, more than what we can perceive, either with our naked eyes or our digital instruments. That's an Easter message, to be sure, spelled out in as few characters as possible. In this season where light and dark balance the day, we seek balance for ourselves. The retired UU minister, the Reverend Sarah York, wrote in our responsive reading this morning, Grateful for the darkness that has nourished us, we push away the stone and invite the light to awaken us to possibilities within and among us, possibilities for new life in ourselves and in our world. May none of these possibilities escape our notice. Not this holiday, not this spring, not this season of earthly and spiritual renewal. For us, this can certainly be a time that love comes back to life again, like everything now springing green. After Rachel died in 2019, her book Searching for Sunday became a bestseller. In its epilogue titled Dark, she writes, Sunday morning sneaks up on us like dawn, like resurrection, like the sun that rises one ribbon at a time. Today is sunny and bright. There are birds singing outside my window. Maybe you can hear them where you are. Last spring, I never imagined that the pandemic would last this long and that I would be preaching my 2021 Easter sermon to you from up in my attic at home, but here we are. And there you are in your homes, reading and singing and reciting roughly in time. Once more, I'm reminded of how durable and expansive faith communities are, and indeed have been for millennia now. Love can take a hold of us from a seemingly impossible reach. It may matter much less where all of us, how all of us worship, online, at home, over Facebook, peering at a smartphone, it may matter much less than when we worship, every Sunday morning, probably since that first Easter vigil was kept by Mary Magdalene herself. This Sunday, we are poised at the very start of Eastertide, when inevitably our spirits combine to rise, in what feels, to me at least, like a divine conspiracy miraculously designed. How glad I am to be a co-conspirator with Rachel, may her memory remain a blessing, and each of you this day, even in the wake of pain, loss, and grief that cannot be denied. Still, all of us witnesses, eyewitnesses, heart witnesses, soul witnesses to the rising